The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, the usual amount, and disturbing imagery, also the usual amount. Friday the 22nd of December 2017 and we've survived the first year of the Trump presidency. Isn't it wonderful? Well, VP Mike Pence thinks it's wonderful. The forgotten men and women of America are forgotten no more. And we are making America great again. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. God bless you. Thank you. But America isn't looking so good in the eyes of the rest of the world. In Europe, for example. Uh, I've started to talk about the United States and the way that we talk about Turkey. And meanwhile, back here in Australia, Senator Erica Betts is swimming upstream to spawn. It's only dead fish that go with a flow. It's only the live fish that have the capacity to swim against the current. It's Eric the Salmon. There's senatorial milt in the water, people, and you know where that must be coming from. Yes, this is the 9pm glorious cloaca. Uh, Yeah, I'll explain that properly later. Hasn't 2017 been a cunt of a year? This woman's reaction, I think, is completely appropriate. There's going to be a lot of hate in this episode because some of you people, you listeners, have paid good money to buy 25 words hate or even a full two minutes hate. Uh, For example, Paris Lord, who hates cliches. So here's 25 words hate on that theme. It's not rocket science. We must face facts. People who use cliches are as dumb as a box of rocks. They need to think outside the box and put in some elbow grease. That sort of thing. I've been having trouble with animals lately, the other night, and and this is kind of ridiculous. I actually had to defend my shopping trolley from a sulphur-crested cockatoo, or as I call it, the sulphur-crested arsehat bird. It swooped in, and when I I turned my back for a moment to, to call a taxi, the bastard was fossicking through my shopping. Bastard. And the other day, I actually accidentally killed a butterfly so you know what that means we've been flipped into a parallel time stream like yet another one but this is the one with uh, uh, antarctic moon nazis in it except you know we we're probably not, not going to get those neatly dressed young aryans with their uh, snow covered ufos uh, it's just going to be more of these dipshits playing dress ups with guns um but but whichever time stream we're in um, I'm concerned about this particular uh, theory uh, presented by a woman I recorded a couple of years ago. George Bush, I put a chip in my arm in 1976 when I went travelling overseas. I did my own investigation. My first birth certificate was a B115, so 73M. They put a chip in my arm. Foreign government set an Australian citizen up. And when she found out about it, she cancelled her documents. Coca-Cola, they all came after her. They did the wrong thing. They had no right to do that, to use me in the 40s and 50s. When I was born in the 50s, 
I was set up as an old H-bomb. They were the SS-20s. They were removed from Europe during the start talks when Ronald Reagan was president. And that was in the Financial Times. If you read the Financial Times, I was an SS-20 in Europe, living in London. So George Bush and criminals were using me as a citizen in London, where I never had citizenship or residency there. I was there as a traveller and as a student for three years. I found out in 83 and cancelled all my documents. Coca-Cola came after me. My own family came after me. The mafia came after me to cause me harm because they wanted to give me a medical label to use me to get to people in London and in this country where I worked. I worked in the banks because of what happened to me at, at that Catholic press retreat. The corruption followed me to the bank, Commonwealth and State Bank. So I resigned my job. When, you, when that happens to you at a place of employment and you're a legal citizen here and you have a problem with your document to someone setting you up for a disappearing act, you know the Irish through the Catholic Church had a hand in setting you up. Because you do not inject people with drugs at a place of employment, set them up for rape, and the ambulance is called, that is illegal, that is corruption. Doctors don't inject people and while their relative holds them down at a place of employment, that is corruption. I walked away. I did my own investigation. I'm nothing to do with anybody. I did my own investigation. I was ex for the British in 2015, ex for the Americans just recently, ex for George Bush. I was set up, I found out about it. I don't like it. They took my life away from me in 1985 by drugging me up and setting me up for rape. They wouldn't let me live my life. The wrong people came after me. A Chinese doctor dragged me naked out of my bedroom in 1986 and put me in an institution so that Max Gareth could cover up the fact that I had his army number on my birth certificate in 1978. The Masons and the Catholics set this all up. The Masons and the Catholics. The Masons and the Catholics do have a lot to answer for, but clearly that woman is not well. And I, I'm not trying to make fun of her. I just wish to point out that that people with these really quite advanced delusions uh, kind of left a potter around our streets and uh, ramble on at almost infinite length to anyone who happens to be going past. Um, and yet, could this be a parallel time stream? One of this week's, well, actually not this week's, it actually surfaced this week, from a, but it's from a while back. One of the most bizarre attacks on female sexuality was the idea that female masturbation opens some sort of time portal, or, or sorry, a, a, a portal to hell. Uh, and uh, this will be on the podcast website, the, the link. But this was something from uh, a couple of years back uh, that Mac Major of the Eden Decoded group in Florida uh, basically says that female masturbation and in particular the use of dildos literally opens a pathway to hell. He believes that a demon could be summoned from hell's fiery pits. Here's a quote. Masturbation is a direct path to Satan. There's nothing normal about it. Whether you want to accept it as a fact or not, those sex toys are an open portal between the demonic realm and your own life. Hello, I'm Stilgarian. Welcome to The Edict. <laughs> A 
as you probably know by now, I'm a bit of a fan of the Bombshell podcast, uh, a national security podcast uh, done by the people at uh, War on the Rocks. Uh, it has the unique feature of being presented by three women and only has female guests, but boy, do they all really know their national security issues. Uh, the most recent ish, uh, episode was recorded uh, live at Maxwell Air Force Base uh, in the US, which is the US Air Force Air Command and Staff College. And there were some amazing questions from the audience, like this one. Uh, you mentioned that we are a uh, retreating hegemon, and uh, it just seems that if we're retreating, we're doing a lot of shooting. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, indeed we are. F-18s over Syria, the surge in Afghanistan, Navy missiles into uh, Syria and Yemen, operations in Africa, fire and fury comments in Korea, retreating from climate change, and the Jerusalem Declaration. With all that said, um, in the Star Wars analogy, are are we the bad guys? And if so, no uh, what do we do about that? Without a functional, uh, that's actually a very good question. Really, ah, uh, is is the United States the bad guy? Are the United States the bad guys? The ladies of Bombshell did explore this uh, a little bit. They pointed out that uh, uh, the United States has basically uh, been uh, a prime mover in organising the post-Second World War world to, uh, to to suit its its needs and obviously to help the world as well, but obviously with its own interests, um, with things like, uh, the, well, the economic system, the International Monetary Fund, the ta- trade deals, NATO, all of the kind of... Oh, you know, World Bank, everything turning up. Uh, I, I'll leave you to listen to the podcast uh, yourself. But the, they did have this interesting summary of post-World War II European economics. There is no Western Europe without a functional German state uh, and without a functional German economy, not the least of which is because the only people who will buy all the coal they have in France are the steel mills in Germany. Yeah. And so to have a French economy, you need a German economy. And that's a lot of the story of Europe for the last 60 years. I think that's a a fair summary of the history of Europe in the last 60 years. Anyway, uh, I, I played a snippet at the the, the front of the, uh, the pod, uh, but... The views of the United States outside the United States are uh, are starting to not look good. I have a, a colleague that works on Europe policy that does a lot of uh, travel to Europe and talking with senior European leaders. And uh, she came back with a comment on her, from her most recent trip that was that a lot of her European colleagues uh, have started to talk about the United States in the way that we talk about Turkey sometimes. Turkey is an ally, but they're kind of a batshit crazy ally, and we just we tolerate that for, for reasons good and bad. Um, and that the meetings with, go, like, anytime you do a phone call with Erdogan or you do a meeting with the Turks, that you are um, basically, like, you're always going to have to ask for something or give something that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with. And if people are viewing the United States in this way, then, like, that's a problem in terms of what we're gaining out of our, some of our bilateral relationships and multinational relationships. I don't know if that's a really accurate way of viewing the United States, but if people are having these perceptions, then it's possibly an issue going forward in terms of, like, how we work with our alliance system. Yeah, it just kind of might be if you think that Donald Trump is kind of a, a bizarre a negotiator as Erdogan in Turkey. But, gee, it does look like that. And the sense that Trump has to be praised all the time, he has to be made to feel good. Uh, Back in June, according to the Washington Post, Trump 
allowed uh, his entire cabinet to speak one by one in praise of him, and and they did. They called it a, an incredible honour to be serving with him and a blessing to serve him, and they were humbled and privileged. Well, this Wednesday, just two days ago, there was a cabinet meeting and Vice President Pence kind of did all of the praising of Trump himself. Listen to this. It goes on and on. Mike, would you like to say a few words? Well, I, I appreciate it, Mr. President. As I, I told you last night, uh, shortly after the Senate vote, uh, I know I speak on behalf of the entire cabinet and of millions of Americans when I say congratulations and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for seeing uh, through the course of this year uh, an agenda that, that truly is restoring this country. You, you described it very well, Mr. President. From the outset of this administration, we've been rebuilding our military, putting the safety and security of the American people first. You've restored American credibility on the world stage. We're, we're standing with our allies. We're standing up to our enemies. But you promised uh, economic renewal at home. Uh, you said we could make this economy great again. Uh, and you promised to roll back regulations. And you signed more bills uh, rolling back federal red tape than any president in American history. You've unleashed American energy. You've, you've spurred an optimism in this country that's setting records. Um, but you promised the American people in that campaign uh, a year ago that you would deliver historic uh, tax cuts. Uh, and uh, it would be a middle-class miracle. And uh, in, in just a short period of time, that promise will be fulfilled. And, uh, and I just, uh, I'm deeply humbled as your Vice President to be able to be here. Because of your leadership, Mr. President, and because of the strong support of the leadership in the Congress of the United States, you're delivering on that middle-class miracle. Uh, you've actually got the Congress to do, as you said, what they couldn't do with Anwar for 40 years. You've got the Congress to do with, with tax cuts for working families and American businesses, what they haven't been able to do for 31 years. Uh, and you've got Congress uh, to do what they couldn't do for seven years in repealing the individual mandate in Obamacare. Uh, I know you would have me also acknowledge people around this table, Mr. President. I want to uh, thank the leaders in Congress once again. Uh, for their partnership in this. I want to thank your outstanding team, your Secretary of the Treasury, uh, Stephen Mnuchin, for Gary Cohen, for Ivanka Trump, for your great legislative team, all the members of this cabinet who partnered to drive your vision forward over the past six months after you laid out that vision for tax reform. Uh, but mostly, Mr. President, I, I'll end where I began and just tell you, uh, I want to thank you, Mr. President, I want to thank you for uh, speaking on behalf of and fighting every day for the forgotten men and women of America. Because of your determination, because of your leadership, the forgotten men and women of America are forgotten no more, and we are making America great again. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. President. God bless you. Thank, Thank you, you, Mr. President. God bless you. Thank you, Vice President Mike Pence. What a fucking brown tongue. That's about three minutes, and uh, that was it. What, what was that? But apparently Trump was storming about the White House because even though the tax bill was passed, the media wasn't praising him for it enough. Narcissist much.
Another thing that's worrying about the United States, uh, and this was picked up by the former president of Estonia, uh, Tumas Ilves, uh, who uh, not only was the former president, he was one of the, the, the people who was driving the whole digital nation thing in Estonia. He's currently a, a distinguished visiting fellow at Stanford University in the heart of Silicon Valley, and he says he's shocked at how retrograde US bureaucracy seems even in Silicon Valley. The quote from him, it's like the 1950s. I had to provide an electrical bill to prove I live here. He said, you can get an iPhone X, but if you have to register your car, forget it. Well, let's go through some 25 words hate, I think. Karlski B from the Twitters. Uh, Look, I will just say too, I I didn't highly script all of these, which means some people are getting a a looser thing, which means they get more than their 25 words. I'm kind of riffing off a theme here. But his favourite Favourite issue, instant fucking experts. Yes, Karlski, the patron saints of 2017 really are Dunning and Kruger. People so dumb, so ignorant, they have no idea how fucking ignorant they are. Anyone can launch the instant fucking expert opinions into the twatosphere and think they're a fucking genius. Politicians are amongst this. Um, Your 25 words are up there, Karlski, but the news this week that... After all of the uh, workers' penalty rates were cut for, you know, getting paid extra for working on a weekend or late at night or whatever, we now have the weakest consumer spending in Australia since 2008. Apparently, like, keep up with this, if you cut people's wages, they don't spend as much. Kathy Reid, who has 25 words hate, just says, free pass, double up on someone else. Uh, so I, I will continue now just on the levels of stupidity in the world. We had uh, an incident in Melbourne yesterday. A four-wheel drive vehicle uh, ran into a, a number of pedestrians and uh, somewhere up towards 20 people injured. I, I have deliberately not been following this story because it does basically appear to be a road traffic accident but on a, a vast scale. But we did have, within minutes... Of, of this being tweeted, everyone coming out with their analyses in terms of terrorist attacks and uh, how the city needs to be locked down and what we're going to do before there was any actual evidence of anything. I mean, I got a bit cranky and, and said, look, you know, we, we don't actually know what's going on here. So how about we just get on with our lives for the moment? And uh, when we actually know something, then then we can discuss it. And various ignorant cunts on Twitter thought that was somehow um, disrespecting the, the, the victims and their families or something. And no, you turds. It's more disrespectful to arc up with your half-assed theories based on nothing but you know, your your lack of masturbation as a child. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's wrong. It's all just wrong. I mean, politicians are are bad on this. Here's the thing I was going to rant about that. Politicians really are the worst at at the ignorance. Um, I'm reminded that, uh, of course, Philip Ruddock, who was chairing 
the Senate committee looking at the legislation for digital surveillance and metadata retention didn't know what Skype was. He actually asked, so Skype, that is that like a telephone on your computer? I, I, I mean, it is, kind of, sort of, but he had to ask. And, and here's the man running that Senate inquiry. Pseudomorph uh, continues on this theme uh, with uh, de-identification. And look, we did see this this week. And, and my hatred goes out to the, uh, the Federal Department of Health who uh, had released some time back a data set supposedly made anonymous of 10% of uh, the Medicare billing and uh, pharmaceutical benefit scheme billing. The idea that researchers could then analyse this. And it was made anonymous by um, obviously removing names, um, but uh, they also did some time shifting on it. So they blurred the data by two weeks. Uh, as uh, Dr Vanessa Teague and her team at the University of Melbourne showed in a paper that was released on Monday, <laughs> nah, easy to re-identify. They had previously identified uh, some of the service prov- providers. What they did in their paper, they... Oh, this is way more than 25 years words. Anyway, they, um, they got publicly available details from seven well-known Australians. I mean, their date of birth. Uh, if they were sports people, then they, they were treated for an injury in a certain period of time. Uh, you can kind of uh, see where that happened by where they were travelling and so on. And and they managed uh, to, to really, they think, identify the medical records of those people. I've since, since found out some interesting things. The, the blurring of the time, of, of the timestamps on the medical records by two weeks was every record shifted by the same two-week amount. So all you had to have to do is uh, understand the time shifting for just one record and you've now got the lot. And this stuff is incredibly easy to identify. Here's, here's an example for me. I, I have published uh, the town I was born in. I have held a birthday party. Uh, the number of people born in that period in that town is is really quite small. After moving from Adelaide to Sydney, I have mentioned various things, like I've gone into a hospital because I've, uh, uh, you know, bruised my ribs or something like that. It doesn't take much to re-identify data. The research shows in the United States if you have four geo stamp, uh, four time stamp geo locations, that's pretty much a unique fingerprint for someone. And you can see that here, like in a, in a city like Sydney, how many people get on a particular train at a particular suburban railway station at a certain time of the day? How many of those people also have lunch in another suburb on Saturday? at a certain time and travel by transport. That's going to be an incredibly tiny number of people. There's a lot to explore in this, a lot to explore. And the problem is, I think, uh, Keith Duddy's 25 words hate for innovation. Just because something is new, that is, it hasn't been done before, doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's... It's even desirable. And in the, in the, the, the so-called technology industry, which, of course, is you know, information technology and data and all that shit, one of the biggest things I hate 
is each generation or each half generation of software developers coming through reinventing the wheel because half the time they don't know that there are known solutions for many, 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 many problems. And, and often they date back to the 1960s. There's a mathematics behind this stuff. But uh, so many people are writing software that don't actually have uh, the mathematical and theoretical underpinnings to actually do it. So many of the, oh, my God, I'm a hacker, are self-taught and and actually don't know very much about the science underpinning this technology. There's also this sense amongst, I think more so males and females, I'm happily, I'll happily be proven wrong on this, but there's a sense of I want to solve this problem and I want to make my thing when if they spent just an hour or two hours searching for software libraries, they could find all the tools they need have already been built instead of pissing away a week writing something half-assed for themselves. Innovation is is really something that forgets that there's actually some very good ways of doing things get off my fucking lawn. Michael Neal, who is a software developer, his 25 words hate are blockchain, repeated so here we go blockchain 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 fucking blockchain 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 can't have a blockchain 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 Blockchain, 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 blockchain. I've also been shocked to hear that there are frauds and scammers in the cryptocurrency communities. Good heavens. Speaking of money... Uh, well, pretend money anyway. Let's speak of real money. This podcast is made possible by you, the listeners, thanks to your subscriptions and one-off contributions. Thanks this episode uh, to the people I'm thanking as we go along for their uh, their hatred, uh, but also thank you. Uh, to the Foot Soldiers for Media Freedom, Twiddlekins, John Lawrence, Ginevra Makes, Koloska Hall, Gavin Heaton, Rick Heyman, Ian Kath, Rowan Pierce, Errol Cavett, Tim Bell, Larry Lawson, Drew Mayo and four who choose to remain anonymous and uh, the Media Freedom Citizens, Mercy W. Hema, Paul Kidd and one person who chooses to remain anonymous. I'll be sorting out finally uh, new subscription-based things in the new year. I was going to move to Patreon, but if you've watched the news, you may have seen that Patreon on and not the uh, the world's favourite possums at the moment. So I'll, I'll think about that. But for the moment, you can do a one-off contribution, stilgarian.com slash tip. Give me a Christmas present. I think that would be a lovely thing. More 25 words hate from Blake's with a Z cabinet ministers. Twitter's getting hacked or are they lies? These people have access to the big secrets. What kind of fucking security training practice is our government doing, etc.? So there's two issues to hate here. One is the concept that they don't know how to work their own Twitters and somehow 
look, I, I, I have no problem. I have no problem at all with with a member of parliament watching some porn and having a bit of a wank at the end of a long working day. It's an arduous job. And I know people say, oh, politicians don't do anything. Well, I think you really need to look at their schedules. It's it's really gruellingly long days. And and pornography is a perfectly legal thing. So and perfectly adult adults can enjoy it, for fuck's sake. So stop being such little wusses. But the idea that, that I, I was hacked and someone tweeted... Politicians don't know how to use the basic office tools that anyone and everyone in every other workplace is expected to understand. They're expected to walk in and do it. Politicians work, legislators work, on creating and editing documents, on communication. There are tools for that and these stupid arsehats don't know how to use them and they're not interested in being more productive. It's not helped by the fact that journalists are stenographers, mostly because they don't have the time or expertise to actually understand any of these issues themselves. Uh, Journalists for a long period would almost... Brother, I don't know how to use my smartphone. Well, fucking work it out, you useless cunt. But as a side note to all that... That was more than 25 words, wasn't it? On a side note to all that, this, this... idea that that someone hacked in and tweeted one tweet and people said like what, what hackers would do that in discussions about what were called information operations back in the day and we're talking years ago um i i was having some conversations over beers with people who were thinking about these issues and one of the tactics we in inverted commas came up with uh in those uh, obviously high level discussions was not being obvious about the way you're screwing up things. Like if you hack into a bank, you don't wipe out vast quantities of stuff. You just kind of introduce subtle errors into, I don't know, 3% of the transactions, just enough to create doubt, to ramp up the the customer workload, uh, to to slowly degrade the bank's profitability. Uh, If you break into an organization's um, email, you don't just delete vast slabs of it or copy. I mean, you do that. You get your copies of it. But then you say, I don't know, delete 5% of, of their emails or all the emails that come from a certain country. Or you take, I don't know, about 50 emails from someone else's account and move them across to sort of a different person's inbox so it looks like the whole thing is being misdelivered. Um, if, if you're sending up you know, the weather forecast to the media, you send slightly different or slightly wrong weather forecasts out or you just send out the ones from the previous week every now and then and then cover your tracks. But, yeah, look, I'm riffing on that. The the kind of politicians, the dog hacked my homework really is the the worst of excuses. Um, Brendan Forster with a leftover three trigger words from uh, the other day because I accidentally deleted him from my notes. Uh, Stupid security shenanigans. I'll be here all night, mate. I will be here all night with stupid security shenanigans. Uh, The the kind of sharing of passwords instead of um, having their their staff use delegated access is, of course, pretty fucking basic. Um, 
uh, look, I'm getting cranky. I'll move on. There's some more uh, leftover trigger words from the Public House Forum. Uh, Nicholas Fryer had cyber snot and pustule. Um, these are both good words, but I'm going to combine it with the word from Daniel Curtin, which was moistening. Because moistening is a lovely word. And whenever I I say the word moistening, I think of Senator Erica Betts. Um, and in particular, I'm, I'm thinking about his uh, contribution, I use the term loosely, to the same-sex marriage debate. And in his speech during the discussion of that legislation, which, of course, it did go through, and all you homosexualists, off you go and get married should you wish to live in an institution. But in in his speech in the Senate, he was justifying why he was voting against the legislation, even though the citizens were for it. He saw it as a matter of uh, personal principle that, that you are... Um, bringing into the Senate your your beliefs and your morals and whatever and arguing the case. Here's just part of what he said. I am reminded of the Republic campaign where the electorate that John Howard represented voted yes, yet he remained a staunch monarchist. And the electorate, Mr Kim Beasley, the Labor leader, voted, voted no, yet he remained a staunch Republican. The electorates re-elected both gentlemen at the next election. And so I think that the electorate can distinguish between a particular point of view on an issue and their high regard for their parliamentary representative. As someone told me the other day, it's only dead fish that go with a flow. It's only the live fish that have the capacity to swim against the current. The, the 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 dead fish comment is interesting. Sean McAuliffe, the Australian satirist and uh, actor, uh, tweeted that Eric, yes, Senator Eric, casts himself as the mighty salmon which swims upstream to lay its eggs. What Eric forgets, though, is that depending on the water temperature, salmon will often change their sex. Who amongst us hasn't imagined the sight of Senator Abetz laying thousands of eggs? And as Lucian, I added, or indeed broadcasting his milt. And, it's not, and, and I then tweeted, it's not often that one gets to use Brandis and milt in the same sentence. And I suddenly realised my mistake. I, I had put Brandis in my head. Um, uh, clearly, clearly, when I start thinking of uh, dispersing milt into the water, I, I'm off in some separate George Brandis fantasy land. Good luck. Good luck, George, um, uh, on your new job in London as Australia's High Commissioner for London. May you enjoy the shit English wine. Uh, but uh, uh, but Abetz and Milt in the same sentence, that marks a special day. Uh, Bjorgen Drufeldroff did, did say, look, yes, he's sure Eric Abetz has a glorious cloaca, hence the name of this episode. And as Garth Kidd said, clacker is a word that rolls off the tongue and I must congratulate him for using the word cloaca and tongue in the same sentence. That's an image I think we can all take home with us tonight. Speaking of orifices, landlords. This is uh, two minutes hate for Stuart Young. I'm noticing my time now. Landlords. I hate the very term landlord itself. These aren't lords of the land. They're petty little burghers 
who've who've scrounged together enough money to buy some shitty little patch and put up a three bedroom brick veneer thing on it or or whatever or they were lucky enough to to get some terrace house 20 years ago uh, and its price has gone up 47,000% a year and they've grown rich by doing by doing fuck all and they've built up a sense of entitlement that that this is the natural order of things that they as a property owner as a landlord um, should just be forever getting wealthy. They they forget that they're actually in the business of providing a service, namely a home or perhaps a, an office, but certainly a home to their fellow humans. They are an accommodation service provider and providing proper accommodation is actually the thing they're meant to be doing. But, of course, the market has been controlled through, I'm sure, something that is definitely not corruption so that the prices stay up and and the people wishing to rent these properties are, are forced to pay really quite high prices. But these properties are not a comfortable superannuation asset with live-in caretakers who pay for the privilege of being there. These are people's homes and they have to be maintained. And it is completely in-fucking-excusable for the service providers to fail to fix basic things. I think anyone who's rented a property has had to put up with this, the things that don't work, that take forever to be fixed, and then when they are fixed, it's done in some half assed way. To put this in perspective, I note that in the UK, they voted down a proposal to make it compulsory for homes being rented out to actually be livable. Think about that for a while. They, they wanted to make a law that said that the homes cannot be hazardous to health. They can't be mouldy. They can't have leaking water. They can't have electrical faults. They can't have uh, health and safety issues with stairs or steps or doors or, or, and locks have to work. The British Parliament voted that down because it would be too much of a burden on the property owners to make their properties livable. What utter cunts. And now here's Nicholas Fryer with a look through the arch window. In case you haven't been near a shopping centre lately, it's nearly Christmas. And even the most hardened cynic will concede that there's something truly magical about this time of year. And it's this. Parliament's packed up and gone home. I'm thoroughly sick of the carnival of vicious incompetence that you might call the death spasms of a doomed federal government, except that would imply that it was at some point alive. Perhaps it was, in the same sense that our compost heap is alive. That, too, is more than a bit on the nose, prone to gaseous outbursts, and would benefit from a regular and vigorous forking, but the moment it finally ceases all movement will hardly rank as high tragedy. Still for now, we'll get a break for a few weeks from the self-congratulation of Malcolm Stonewall Turnbull and his Rainbow Coalition, basking in their success of passing history-making legislation against their will. Because it's Christmas, which, for many of us, is a time for family, whether we like it or not. A few days ago, I came upon my wife... Um, family show probably, yeah. I discovered my wife. See, that's all... <laughs> Never mind. I found my wife, who was fully clothed at the time, reading the script of one of these atrocities, and sadly shaking her head. 
It was the one where I tied trans-dimensional knots in my own intestines, for perfectly good and sound reasons I don't propose to go into again here. Hearing the sound of my eyebrows rising in alarm, she looked up at me and said, After nearly twenty years, I still don't understand you, she sighed. Or maybe it's the internet I don't get, she said, before putting the paper in the cat's litter tray and going off to do one of the many mysterious things that women do, like bricklaying or worming the cat. My immediate response was to take comfort from the fact that the balance of mutually assured incomprehension appeared to have been maintained. But as I stood there, scratching the belly poking through the gap between my Y-fronts and my Josie and the Pussycats T-shirt, the possibility glimmered into what passes for my forebrain that I might be allowing complacency a toehold in my marital affairs. Clearly, my wife has the sense that something in her life is appalling and creepy. The survival of my marriage may depend upon my ability to convince her that that thing isn't me, but rather it's the internet, and by extension, the rest of the world. Or to put it another way, you. But there was any man ever so blessed with such friends. Well, well, these are the ethical and moral dilemmas of modern life. I should probably get a radio program. At least parenting's still easy. To my boys, the world at the moment simply cannot contain enough nerf, the latest in a long line of things that I pretend to buy because I would have loved to have one when I was twelve, but in fact I buy because I want one now, and for the first time in twenty-five years I've got housemates who see the fun in shooting each other in the head. My twelve-year-old has a tripod-mounted, belt-fed, fully automatic piece of phone-dart-chucking ordnance capable of giving a cat a persecution complex from twenty metres away. Show me a man who wouldn't want to go on that, and I'll show you a man who washes his hands before he takes a piss, and probably writes poetry to boot. Not everyone in the house sees the beauty in it. Honestly, there are times when male heterosexuality is like having a fetish, which renders one only able to achieve sexual satisfaction with a bank manager. Frankly, I'd rather be nerfing. Not content with the meagre allotment of ammunition that's supplied with the weapons themselves, we've just taken delivery of a bulk pack of non-name brand dodgy knockoff darts, which have a slightly harder tip than the official version and make a most satisfying noise as they spoink off my children's skulls. So it's full steam ahead and damn the liability disclaimer. And then, after the simulated warfare, we're due to hit the beanbags for episode 74 of Giant Robot Sex Kittens in Space which is a really good one. One of our favourites. Shinji has to fight the mecha lizards, but he's totally distracted by a glimpse of Masako's underpants. Which is odd, because they get so much screen time, they should get a separate credit. Now, where was I? Oh yes, convincing my wife that the problem is her, not me. Oh well, I mean these things usually work themselves out if I ignore them hard enough. So I'd better get to that. Wish me luck. While I'm at it, a Merry Christmas to everyone within earshot. Tell someone you love them. Even, and perhaps especially, if it's not entirely true all of the time. Peter Lawler has chosen to have 25 words hate uh, for s- previous Senator Scott Ludlam which is going to be fun because I actually uh, know Scott Ludlam. Uh, and uh, 
Look, he is a lovely chap, but I think in a political context, it's important to realise he is nothing but a haircut in search of a spine. He's a SWAT who follows the rules instead of breaking them, instead of forging out into bold new uh, pastures, I think. Um, he's got a fetish for evidence. He wants to actually have facts and things informing policies. He, he wants to follow the rules. He, he, he wants to, well, he actually sort of wanted to get out of part of the Senate, I think, and, and the dual citizen section 44 thing probably provided him with an excellent opportunity to go, yeah, fuck this for a game of soldiers. But that's it, isn't it? I mean, he should have stayed on to become a bitter, twisted old wreck of a human being just like the rest of them. On the subject of dumplings, um, I, I did mention uh, the other day that uh, I found a, a hotel in the city of Sydney where I was staying and uh, guests on their first night are given a voucher for some welcome dumplings and, and a, a drink. And I thought more hotels should do a welcome drink and dumplings, but uh, an anonymous benefactor uh, wishes to express two minutes hate uh, on, on the theme of dumplings being vastly overrated. Uh, and this is the idea that, uh, you know, it's an exciting lunch for a work outing to have dumplings. And really, when you think about it, dumplings are just kind of deformed, cancerous sausages. At least sausages have the, uh, the decency to have a sense of linearity about them, uh, a sense of containment. But dumplings are sort of random turds of shredded mystery meat and or vegetables wrapped in mucus. And I think, I think this is because they're made through this process of putting your elderly and otherwise useless relatives to work because I really only need sort of one and a half hands working and, and being able to sit in a chair and they can just make make dumplings. And, and of course, child labour can be involved. And, and this whole thing is much cheaper than actually paying staff to, to make real food. And, and it means you can kind of do it at the kitchen table and, and completely disregard food safety laws. The wrappings of dumplings, I don't know, they're probably made of the crap that that chain-smoking grandfather coughs up. And of course, there's no spitting on the floor. Uh, I mean, not in a modern Western nation like Australia. So all that gobness out of the bag, you get the <coughs> comes out onto the palm of your hand and you wrap it round some shredded duck and let it congeal for a while. Then they come out in these stupid little, stupid little kind of steamer things and they stick to them. Have these people never heard of Teflon? Don't they know how to grease something up before gr- bringing it to the table? This is, this is hopeless. Dumplings are an abomination. <laughs> People are fucking stupid. At uh, at a bar in the Blue Mountains here uh, the other day, uh, I, I was waiting to to have like a drink, a standard drink that I could just order and get. But there was a group of people there beforehand, and they wanted chicken burgers, but they wanted each one to be individually customised. So chicken burger comes with chips, and the chips have aioli on them, and, and the burger bun probably has a bit of butter on it. Right, so they wanted the chicken burger with no aioli on on the chips, but then they wanted another chicken bur- burger, but with no butter. Oh, and the one with no aioli, can that have wedges instead of chips? And then can I have, and then another one like that? And the barman, in his infinite patience, was going, 
another one like the first one or another one like the second one? And, and look, this, this went on for some time. Constellations wheeled through the firmament. Oceans rose and mountains fell. Whole species of animals evolved and then went extinct while I was waiting for these people to get their fucking meal order together so I could just get a drink. Um, and eventually they did do that. But this idea that a bun with chips and, and, a, and a fatty thing can suddenly become healthy if you omit the kind of microscopic smear of butter or a dribble of oil. You're eating a big fucking plate of chips, you porked-up people. Anyway, once they'd done that, I walked up to the bar and said, uh, love your patience, I'll have a pint of APA, no aioli, thanks. Then the other day, I was, at, I was waiting at the dentist, um, as you do, and... Uh, Someone else came in, and he was an entitled boomer. So here he is in in the uh, the medical and dental practice waiting zone, uh, where, where there are plenty of signs, and also the concept of just having some fucking manners to you know step outside if you want to make phone calls. But no, his phone rang, and he spent his entire time loudly gossiping on the phone to his friend Shaz. I now know quite a bit about the issues in Shaz's life. And what's really, really getting up my nose is that as the dental hygienist popped out and called him into the consulting room, he was still talking on the phone all the way into the consulting room while the hygienist closed the door behind them. What a self-centred turd. And just stupid, just stupid. The other stupid thing I saw today is is, is I actually trolled a few people because someone uh, on Twitter was in uh, Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam and they posted a photograph of the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral there. And I said, yeah, look, I... When I was there earlier this year, it's a lovely, lovely church. I really should have gone inside because apparently it's quite beautiful inside too. Um, and then I tweeted, it's weird how so many things in Ho Chi Minh City inexplicably have French names. Um, and so many people took me seriously. It was then retweeted, oh, don't they teach history these days? Who is this idiot? Even even after uh, Jim Campbell on Twitter tweeted, well, yes, you know, because it's weird because the only American soldiers have ever been in Vietnam. And I said, oh, well, they all must have been from Louisiana then and French speakers. Yeah, that settles that. So even though we had this completely ludicrous false history, they went with it. Which brings me to Joel Michaels, uh, finally two minutes hate, Christmas shopping crowds. This has to be the cavalcade the biggest cavalcade of stupidity that you can get in one place at one time on one day. I mean, the sort of cud munchers that infest shopping malls in their, in their vast blundering herds are bad enough at any other time of the year. But when it's Christmas shopping, they don't know what they want and they, they form loose dawdle sprawls of chaos occupying the entire footpath, the entire car park, the entire everything. They've all got about as much situational awareness as a cucumber and their children are worse. I mean, these kids these days have never been more than 10 metres from their front door without an armed escort and a helicopter. So 
they don't actually know how to interact with other objects in the world. So they, they, they kind of just blunder into things. They have no sense of choosing a path through a crowd. And the really cruel thing is you're not allowed to kick the little fuckers. I mean, you really should be allowed to kick other people's children who get in your way because they're certainly not going to learn how to cope with the real world any other way. Then there's this endless Christmas shopping. Oh, what will we get? We've got to get that. We've got to get these things. We've got to get the thing that everyone had. I remember when... Um, my brother's now ex-wife, gee, this is going back a bit, or as my late mother called her, that woman, um, really wanted a bread maker for Christmas one year. And as I said to my mum, so she makes a lot of bread then, does she? No, she didn't make any fucking bread. But just all of her friends were getting bread makers, so she had to have a bread maker too. But she didn't make bread. There's a reason my... Uh, brother got sole cost custody of the three children and then and then there's the oh we've got to get the right thing because they will get us an expensive thing and we've got to get them an expensive thing back not a thoughtful thing not something they need an expensive thing and so much shit why do people buy all this shit why do they want all this shit why do they hate themselves so much has that gone for two minutes yeah, that's gone for that's gone for two minutes, I think. Well, that's all the edict for now, and indeed all the edict for 2017. Uh, as usual, there's notes on the podcast page at stillgarian.com, and you can help keep these podcasts going by emptying your Christmas stockings into stillgarian.com slash tip, maybe empty your underwear in there as well. The Edict will be taking a, a break over summer. I have to do some technical things to get it back on iTunes and set up some other bits and pieces. And some ideas that have been on the back burner will be moved to the front burner. Uh, the next episode will therefore be sometime in February 2018. Until then, I'm still Gary and have a good one. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.